Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. I just wanted to preach on something else but Exodus. So we'll get back to that soon. But uh, uh, just for some reason, the Lord's laid this message on my heart, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Now, I think if you've heard me preach before or you've heard me with any consistency, you know I generally like to construct my sermons and have points alliterated and have, you know, main points and sub points. And I try very hard to uh, make it understandable and uh, and just an aid for maybe helping people remember the sermon in some way. But tonight, I have to be very honest with you, these points are not at all alliterated. They They were never meant to be even thought out like that. It's going to seem a little bit like a uh, church potluck of a sermon, if I could use that term. It's just you're going to get what uh, what's on my heart, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Uh, we're going to speak tonight on a very important topic, and I believe that if you will invest in the sermon and invest your uh, attention for the next, uh, we'll say, uh, 40 minutes or so, it will be a blessing and a help to you. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 11, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I want you to focus in on what verse 14 has for us this evening. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Heavenly Father, tonight I ask that you bless the sermon in some way. Use me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, O God, for I am unable to do what I am about to endeavor to do without your blessing and without the Spirit's indwelling. Father, I pray tonight that you would empower me And, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to stay on topic and on track. I pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that a church competes with on a week-to-week basis as far as calling for its members' attention is a television set. Uh, Many times we battle cowboy games or ranger games, even Mavericks games when they become big. Uh, if you're a Yankees fan, I'm sorry, the Bible has nothing for you tonight. But, uh, uh, but honestly, you'd be surprised how our crowd fluctuates depending on the programming that is on television. And unfortunately, that's a reality that just we can't deny tonight. 
Um, now, the Cowboys have a bye week, and the Rangers, amen, uh, the Rangers uh, overachieved and underwhelmed once they arrived. Uh, and the Mavericks are just in preseason, and uh, they're not really uh, doing anything great right now. So seems like the programming tonight is a little bit off. Uh, however, there is a, a special program on tonight that uh, uh, they may, maybe some of our members are watching, and uh, the creator of which is a, a good lady. Um, she owns her own network, actually. It's called the Own Network. Many of you may know her name is Oprah Winfrey, and, and she owns a network. And tonight she's airing the new special. In fact, this morning on my way to church, I heard my phone kind of buzz at me, and I, I found out I had an email, and it was Dish Network sending me a, an update and saying, don't miss tonight's special program of Oprah Winfrey as she goes on a seven-night series of belief. And, uh, you know, that really intrigued me because uh, I want to see what she believes. It matters a lot to me. Unfortunately, I had to come to church tonight and I had to preach or else I'd be at home watching the own network. Now, I'm not here tonight to uh, mock Miss Winfrey. Uh, maybe she's a favorite of yours on television, and that's fine if she is. Um, I'm not here to degrade her or demean her, but as I did a little research into the uh, programming that she was going to provide tonight, and I believe seven continuous nights, uh, including tonight, um, it struck me. And I do have an idea of what Miss Winfrey believes as vaguely as she's ever stated it in pub public. I, I've heard those things. But uh, I, I wanted to do some research on the program. Now, at the beginning of the promotion for this program, the seven-night series called Belief, Miss Oprah Winfrey opens it with her voice, as she is the narrator of the program, and she says this with her opening line, My confidence comes from knowing there is a force a power greater than myself that I am a part of and is also a part of me. And I, I, I really don't have much to disagree with Miss Winfrey about. In fact, I do believe there are many forces at work in this world. Um, I, I believe she actually no doubt has probably felt that force at work in her own life. Um, but you can be the judge of what that force is. I went on to read about what the program is, uh, kind of like it's a promotional a paragraph as you read and you're interested in. And let me, let me share that with you tonight. The, uh, her website read this. Seven billion people searching for connection, redemption, meaning. Oprah Winfrey presents the seven-night event, Belief a groundbreaking television event exploring humankind's ongoing search to connect with something greater than ourselves. Journeying to the far reaches of the world and to places cameras have rarely been, belief searches the origins of diverse faiths and the heart of what really matters. From the epic to the intimate, webbed throughout the, each hour are stories of people on spiritual journeys, taking them to sacred spaces, including the largest peaceful gathering in the history of the world as a group of believers seek redemption along the banks of a holy river. 
a free climber on the side of a mountain who believes there is no greater power than just being present as he climbs without a rope. Inside the ceremonies of the past, as a 21st century woman seeks to find a miracle cure using ancient ceremonial treatments. The quiet of the night as a culture seeks to hang on to its 50,000-year-old history by searching the stars for insight to share with future generations. And a courtroom and a prison where a grieving mother must grapple with forgiveness as she comes face-to-face with her son's killer. These stories and others will all lead us to ask, what do you believe? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to share tonight with you what I believe. And you don't have to believe the way I believe. It's up to you. But I'll tell you what, everything I believe is found in this book in front of me. I've given my life to know it. I've given my life to study it. I've given my life to preach it. And I believe that everything we're going to talk about tonight is found in the Word of God, and it is God's will for mankind. See, I do believe that her, uh, her endeavor to find out what this force is is, is no doubt a noble one. I, I believe that there are some good positives that maybe can turn people on to a reality that there is something greater than us at work in this world. But make no mistake about it, it is not an amazing achievement that she believes there's a force because the Bible says you believe there is a God, the devils also believe and tremble. You see, not only do the devils believe in God, they fear Him. And I'm afraid tonight that uh, others in this world, and, and, and even Miss Winfrey, is a little confused that as she doesn't have to go to the jungles of Bolivia or wherever she's going, she has to turn to the Word of God to find out what God's will is for her life. I want to share with you, since hers is a seven-episode series, seven points about what I believe tonight. They'll be quick, so you don't have to uh, worry about that. First of all, I believe there is one Creator of all. It doesn't much matter to me what the schools say. It doesn't much matter to me what textbooks say. It doesn't much matter to me what the most educated men of, uh, of our day or the philosophers of our day. It doesn't matter what they say to me because the Bible exclaims and boldly defends that creation did not happen by a big boom unless his name is God. Creation did not happen many, many thousands and billions of years ago. However, creation was God stepping out on the ledge of nothing and the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters and God saying, let there be light. And there was light. There's one creator of all. This idea how uh, modern day education gives us that we have just somehow grown or uh, the word they use is evolved to where we are today. And there's this idea carrying that, uh, and this is uh, very evident in their uh, theory, is that we are bettering ourselves. See, we were just one-celled organisms at one point, and we have bettered ourselves. And natural selection has weeded out the worst of us and improved us. That's the theory. But if I watch tonight's news, I realize that we're closer to animals now than we've ever been. 
People see nothing wrong with molesting a child these days. People see nothing wrong with killing another man uh, for, for money or, or, or for uh, a, a quote-unquote love of a woman. I, I tell you, we're closer to barbarians than we've ever been before. We are not improving. We are deteriorating as a society and as culture. Uh, I, I believe that... God stepped out in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form of void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I like that. That is uh, the perfect defense against the Big Bang. Well, it just was and just happened. No, we understand that the Word of God created this earth. Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, For the invisible things of Him, or God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood that they are made even His eternal power and Godhead. God stepped out and created the world that we know today. And I just believe that no matter what people may tell me, no matter how much quote-unquote scientific evidence they have, I love one of their arguments. Well, this rock is billions and billions of years ago uh, was created. I just wonder why if God could create Adam in, a, in an adult form, why could he not create the earth in an adult form? Uh, look, I believe that God created the world, and I don't just believe it because it makes me feel good or happy or comfortable. I believe it because God said it was so, and my God is not a liar, and there is no falsehood in, in him. I believe there is one creator. No matter what people may seek to learn about this earth, they're going to one day realize that God did create this earth, that everybody on this earth will one day have to answer to Him. I believe that there is one Creator. Secondly, I believe that God is triune. I don't believe that there is an Allah. Last weekend I had a lady explain to me that... uh, a Muslim's term for God, the same God that I worship, is uh, Allah. And while that may be the word that is used to describe God, my God and their Allah is not at all the same God. I believe there's a very distinct difference in my God. I believe the Bible tells us vividly and plainly that there is a Father in heaven. The Bible says, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's one Father. Malachi 2 verse 10 says, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? You see, there is one God, but our God's special. Our God's unique. Our God's beyond our understanding. And while there is a Father, there is also a Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. You see, the Bible very plainly teaches that there is a Heavenly Father and a Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is God? Well, He shares all the attributes that God shares. You see, he's omnipresent because David said, Where could I go from your spirit? If I make my bed in the belly of hell, your spirit is there with me. Uh, It shares omnipresence. It shares omnipotence. The Bible says 
For the Spirit searcheth and knoweth the deep things of God, things that are understandable by angels and by beings like us. The Holy Spirit searcheth and knoweth those things. He's omniscient, as the Bible says in Job chapter 33, the Spirit of God hath made me. You understand, if he's attributed power of creation, he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, and he is omniscient. The Holy Spirit of God and the Heavenly Father. Thirdly, there's the Son. The Son, Jesus Christ. And I want to make very clear tonight that the Son is not a subordinate term. The Son does not speak of His birth. It speaks of His blessing. It is His birthright. He is the firstborn of creation. In other words, as Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, He was the one who God would sit on His right hand and would highly exalt His name above all names. The angels would see Him and worship Him. And God Himself, in verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 1, would look at Jesus, the Son of God, seated on the right hand of the Majesty on high, and He would say, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Jesus Christ is not subordinate to the Holy Spirit or to the Heavenly Father. He is just as much God as God the Father Himself. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And do not misunderstand tonight, that is not the Word of God as far as the written Word of God. That is the living Word of God. That is Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Isaiah chapter 9 prophesied His birth and His first coming to earth. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, unto the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Jesus exclaimed before Abraham was, I am. He was the one in that burning bush speaking to Moses. He says, I and my Father are one. You know why the Pharisees were always on the case of Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus spoke, he was not making himself subordinate to the Father. Even the Bible says they did this because he was making himself equal with the Father. And the way I know that all these three are one, And the way that I know they are all equal in power and authority is because the Bible tells me in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, and the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Oh, I'd love tonight to be able to give you a wonderful demonstration and illustration of how uh, uh, the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, and yet they're very three distinct persons. Uh, All I know is there were three at uh, the baptism of Jesus as Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the Father from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I know there were all three depicted there and I have a record of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father at the creation of the world. And I want to make very plain to you tonight that not only are they three separate entities, but when Jesus Christ hung on the cross for mine and for your sins, it was as if God... 
God the Father Himself hung there for the sins of the world. They are so different and distinct, and yet they are all the same. You say, Brother Andrew, if you'll give me the microphone, I'll explain to everybody how they are. And I'll tell you, you hush up, you don't understand it either. By faith, the Word of God has taught me that they are three, but they are one. And I accept it, and I believe it, because it is God's Word. God is a triune God. Thirdly, this is episode three, for those of you that do not know. Man destroyed our fellowship with God. God's original creation, after God was done creating it, He stepped back and He said... It's good. There was no sin. There was no corruption. There was no uh, uh, bad or wrong or evil in it. The world was perfect and men was perfect. And our fellowship and our unity with God was perfect. But oh, the deceiver, Satan himself, that old slippery serpent, hung in that tree there and spoke to Eve and, and told her to take of that fruit and and Eve did, and Adam then, loving Eve so much. And, and let's be honest, men, he probably wanted to try the fruit too. And both of them took what God had put off limits. And don't ever get this wrong, God was doing it for their protection the whole time. God never withholds something from His children that can help them or benefit them. He protects us and sets up barriers and parameters so that we do not uh, harm ourselves. And Satan said, oh, but God just knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like Him, knowing good and evil. And they took of that fruit. And God comes down to speak to them and to continue that fellowship as he was walking in the cool of the day with them and, and, and in perfect unity and in perfect harmony. But there was something different this day. They understood what they had never understood before. They understood they were naked. They understood they were sinful. And when God asked the question whether or not they had partaken of the fruit, Adam blame shifted, did he not? Oh, what a, what a, a terrible thing. He blames his wife. Uh, God, the woman, he didn't even blame her, though. He blamed God, the woman that thou gavest me. That's like when I shoot out a window with a BB gun, I say, but you're the one that got me for Christmas, Mom. You see, you got it for me. For It's not my fault I shut out the window. It is your fault because you bought. I'm not old enough for a weapon. I'm four years old. And that's what Adam did. He blame shifted and threw it back on God. And he said, the, the, the uh, woman that thou gavest me. And that day, something happened. God made a promise to them that in the day that they would eat of the fruit, they would surely die. And you say, well, they didn't. No, they did. That fellowship that they had once enjoyed that intimacy with God, speaking His face to face and fellowshipping and fullness of joy, that was removed. And now there was a barrier placed between them. There was a, a veil, if you will, a separation. We all know as Jesus hung on the cross and He gave His dying breath to save us all, He said the words, It is finished. Oh, he was not talking about his life. 
He was not talking about uh, his ministry on the earth. He was talking about God's redemptive plan for mankind. And if you could just switch your eyes from the cross of Calvary and fast forward over to the temple, you would see something special happen that day. As a 60 feet by 30 feet curtain hung there, separating the holy place to the holy of holies, where only a priest once a year could go and atone for the sins of, uh, uh, of men. Uh, he could only go once, and he had to ceremonially cleanse himself and purify himself and prepare himself. And if he was not exactly right with God, he would be struck down upon his entrance into the Holy of Holies. And once a year he was allowed access to the presence of God. But the day when Jesus Christ died, that veil was torn in two and it was ripped and it stood for this, that no longer did men have to go through a priest for Jesus would be our high priest and Jesus was the Lamb of God and Jesus took away our sins and now he is our advocate with our Father. Oh, tonight, I just believe that we were the ones that destroyed our fellowship with God. Fourthly, I believe that God loved us in our sin. Now, I don't understand this. It is the most confusing, paradoxical issue in the Bible, how a holy God who expects righteousness could love wickedness and have compassion on those people. I want to make, let me make a statement here. God does not love wickedness. God loves the person who is wicked. And he saw through the muck and the mire of our lives. And he loved us. And what this series that Miss Winfrey is doing is she's trying to find... She's trying to find meaning in life. She's trying to find purpose. She's trying to find a connection... But I want to make very clear to you tonight that the only connection that we have with God our Father is the fact that He loved us while we were yet sinners. The Bible says, when we were yet without strength in due time, that means right on time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Moreover, the law entered, and the law was not our friend. The law was a mirror that pointed out every flaw and every blemish and every imperfection of your life. And the law told you to not do this, and guess what? It showed that you always did it. The Bible tells us there is none good. This documentary will point out how people are genuinely seeking. Those people are good people. But good always falls flat when it comes to holiness. And there are many good people who will be in hell because they don't know the Father. And they don't know that Jesus loved them and died for them on the cross of Calvary. God loved us in our sin. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, our sin was rampant, our sin was violent, our sin was wicked, our, our sin was obtrusive, it was offensive to God, it was uh, odorous, it was horrible, but where sin was terrible, grace was amazing. And God loved us more than our sin then he hated our sin. God loved us enough 
So that even our best righteousnesses, even though they were as filthy rags, he looked past all that and sent the best that he had to redeem the worst of me. I'm so thankful that God loved us, even though I was the one that destroyed the fellowship with God. He wanted to restore that, and he wanted to help me. Number uh, five, I believe that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the world. And make no mistake about it, there are a lot of religions, and there are a lot of denominations of Christianity, There are a lot of people on this earth who are genuinely seeking a God or a power or a force. But you cannot get there unless you go through Jesus. Jesus clearly stated, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, the cross of Calvary held many pictures. It was a picture of several things, but one of the most beautiful pictures of the cross of Calvary is how that it was elevated just off the ground and between heaven. It's a perfect picture of how those on the earth could never reach heaven. But as Jesus Christ was placed on the cross, he became our bridge our avenue by which we could have favor with our Father. Even though we were wicked, the redemptive work of Calvary now allows us to be clothed in the righteousnesses of our Savior. And though our sin may be great, we are not seen and viewed by our sin and our failures, but yet the righteousness of Christ clothes us, and that is how God the Father views you. The Bible tells us, in 1 John chapter 2, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone unto his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus... There's a propitiation, or it could be easily said the atoning sacrifice, or an adequate sacrifice for God's holiness and for His expectations. God the Father could not allow animals to be slain for the sins forever. It just delayed it. It just pushed back our sins. But Hebrews clearly teaches us what those calves and what those sheep could only do in part and delay. When Christ came, He became the perfect sacrifice. And while there was never a lamb perfect enough to fulfill God's plan on this earth, Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice and abolished my sin on the cross. He's the propitiation. Sixthly, man, I hope Oprah has more voice than I do. Sixthly, Jesus is the only access to God. You you cannot reach the Father except you go through Jesus. I'll give you an example of this. Jesus Christ had an amazing ministry here on the earth. He 
went through towns and went through uh, areas of people who were demon-possessed and went through uh, large gatherings and assemblies of people who were just coming to have uh, uh, healings and miracles performed. At the end of Jesus' ministry, if you read the Bible, it's very apparent that the cross of Calvary is weighing more heavily upon him. Where at first his ministry was about miracles, towards the end of his ministry it became more instructive in nature towards the disciples. Telling them what he would have to do on the cross and how the little bickering that they were having between themselves was nothing compared to what he was going to have to endure. Towards the end of his ministry there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ was walking, he was moving, uh, he left his disciples and he went on just a little bit further, the Bible tells us. In fact, the Bible tells us about a stone's throw uh, distance. And uh, Jesus, we all have this idea that Jesus knelt down and, and uh, uh, kind of clasped his hands together like I'm teaching my daughter now, you know, just kind of. But that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible says he was walking and he fell on his face. I believe it became so overwhelming for him physically, spiritually, emotionally, that he began to collapse. He then knelt down and, and Jesus was just as much man as he was God and just as much God as he was man. No man wanted to endure the cross. It's the most violent form of punishment ever created by mankind. And Jesus being overwhelmed with everything going on there, he looks up to heaven. And he says, Father, if it be possible, if there's any way, Lord, if, if, if there's a plan B, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If God had had a plan B, do you not think he would have offered it to Jesus? Do you not think that a loving Heavenly Father, never separated from His Son, uh, ever from eternity past and never will be again till eternity future, you think God wanted to endure what He was going to have to watch His Son go through? Jesus looks at God and says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, I'll do Your will, not my will, but Yours be done. You see, there was no other way. There was no plan B. We had to go through Jesus in order to reach the Father. We had to have Him die on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the only access to God. And unfortunately for these people who are going to be documented throughout this documentary, they're going to go through their selves, they're going to go through their abilities, through rivers that are sacred, they're going to go through ritualistic traditions. They're going to go through mountain climbing. I didn't know that was a thing. But they're going to go through all these different methods. And I have heard Oprah Winfrey from her own mouth say, I believe there are many paths to the same God. And even Joel Olstein stood up and defended that. He said, I believe Jesus is the only way to heavenly Father. And there is no other way. If there had been another way, would God not have offered us that way? Jesus is the only way. Finally, and we're done. You say, I don't believe it. We are. Jesus will return in power and glory. 
You see, the first time he came, he came in humility. And I I heard it said one time, if Jesus Christ had come to be the king of the world, he would have been the most humble king this world has ever known. Because he's really king of the universe. He's king of all that is. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And if he had rode into town on uh, on his high horse and, and subjugated everybody, he still would have been the most humble. But that is not how he came. The Bible clearly tells us that he took upon himself the form of a servant. The Bible tells us he had no place to lay his head. He said the foxes have holes. Foxes and animals are more fortunate than I. They at least have somewhere to go home at night. Jesus came humbly. I mean, just think about this. Could you believe, would you like to be the guy that answers to God one day how he did not give Jesus a room in his hotel? Sir, I have a pregnant lady here, and uh, we've been traveling a long way. Can you please allow us a room? Yeah, we don't have anything, but we've got a stall in the back. Our animals are cleaner than the normal animals, though, so. And baby Jesus did not have an amazing reception. He was placed in the feeding trough of animals, wrapped in clothes that were almost like mummification would call for just raggedy taggedy clothes just that's how jesus came into this earth and you know what it did not improve from there humbly he lived his life when people began to promote him and exalt him he would almost all the time leave their presence because he was humble he allowed men to kill him and place him on the cross. Uh, the Bible tells us, as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so Jesus opened not his mouth. Was led all the way to the cross and never fought back, no, not once. People spit on him and never once did Jesus call any form of punishment. In fact, as Jesus hung on the cross, his, some of his final words were these, Father, forgive them. kind of king would do that? I'll tell you, the same kind of king who one day will come. And the second time he comes, he will not come in humility. He will come in power and glory and majesty and beauty and might. That's how he'll come the next time. Take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. I want you to read along with me. Follow along as I read this passage to you. And tell me this won't be a sight for sore eyes. You know, I get tired of, I get tired of people attributing this world to happenstance. I get tired of people calling God my crutch. I get tired of people looking at me like I am just uneducated, like I just don't know what I'm talking about when I believe that there is a God and that God loved me. I get tired of hearing uh, uh, atheists or so-called people who don't believe in God scream profanely that there is no such thing. And if there were, he would reveal himself by now. And I assert that he already has. He hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, Jesus. But I get tired of hearing all of the commotion. And I'll be very honest with you, sometimes it feels like we're outnumbered. 
feels like there's more opposed to God than there are for Him. And at times it's overwhelming. But they better speak up now. Because they won't always be able to speak. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name uh, written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Amen, brother, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's the same word found in John chapter 1. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. My friend, tonight, although it may be very overwhelming sometimes, at the amount of people and the education of people who are screaming and proclaiming there is no such thing as a God, I tell you and I submit to you tonight, they better speak up now because there will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. They will not stand in His presence and deny His uh, presence. They will not stand in His presence and say, I didn't believe in you, therefore you must not have existed. They'll stand in the presence of an almighty God and they will bow their knee to him and they will beg for mercy and they will beg for forgiveness at their arrogancy and at their pride because God is God and he reigns forevermore. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I watch a lot of uh, sports programming and I listen to uh, commentators on the radio Speak of these athletes as if they could do better. I love looking up pictures of radio hosts. You ever heard you got a face for radio? Well, that's most of the time very true. And I love as I sit and I listen to these people and they say, Well, old Des Bryant, he couldn't catch a ball. If it, 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 I can't believe he broke his foot. He was just running. And I listen to them criticize these finely tuned athletes who are six foot five and have done nothing but train and train and train to get to the most elite level of sports. And then I look up their picture. And it looks like all they've trained to do is consume burritos and nachos. And they criticize these athletes. What I want to do, and maybe you can help me do this, I want to set up a meeting between Captain Burrito and these finely tuned athletes, most of which weigh 300 pounds and run four or five 40-yard dashes, bench press 35 times, 225 pounds, boom, boom, throw it up like it's nothing. I want to arrange a meet, and I want this radio host to look in the face of that athlete and say, you can't do your job effectively. You're getting paid millions of dollars to do what you do, and yet you're not good enough at it. That's what I want, because I don't think he has the courage. 
You know why they're so courageous? Because they're not looking at their face. You know why skeptics and scoffers have so much boldness? The same reason that people on Twitter can say whatever they want. Because as long as they don't have to see the person, they are the most noble and the most powerful people in all the world. But one day they will be silenced. One day, unfortunately for all of these people who are searching different avenues to this power, if they do not go by the way of the cross, if they do not go through the advocate that we have with our Father, our great high priest, the propitiation for the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world, if they do not go by way of Him, unfortunately, they will not be able to boldly say anything on this day. And they will search and they will search and they'll search and one man will proclaim, I I climbed mountains and I felt power. And one lady will say, but I was searching for you through many different methods. I even even hosted a television program about trying to find a way to the ultimate power. And yet, unfortunately, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it does not matter what they believe. Belief is only as good as the person who the belief is in. And most of these people believe in themselves. They believe in idols, rituals, sacraments, but none of them impress God. In fact, you don't impress God. There's been one to impress the Lord, and it was His Son on the cross. Tonight, I just wanted to preach about what I believe. I mean, my audience isn't as big as what the Oprah Winfrey Network has. But I believe that if we would start living like we believe these things, it would change us. If we believed that one day we were going to stand before the God that I've preached about tonight, it would change us. Sometimes while we are not outrightly spoken about our disbelief in God, sometimes our actions speak louder than words. And we have so compartmentalized the fact that one day Jesus will return for his church. And one day we will stand before God and answer to him what we did with the message that he gave us. I believe your belief ought to change you. And it ought to impact you and it ought to make a difference in your life. Personally, I will not be watching the seven seven program series. However, if I ever have a question about what I believe, I'll just open this book here. And I'll find answers on how to find peace. I'll find answers about the almighty power. I'll find answers of how I can find joy in this world that sometimes is so wicked. I'll find answers, academic answers. I'll find answers on how this world was formed and the hand that formed it and now the word that still upholds it. When everybody else is screaming, a comet's going to hit the earth, I'll return to this book and I'll realize there's no comet going to destroy this world unless God wants it to destroy this world. And the word of God which upholds this world, and I'm not going to believe that the planets are all going to line and fall off the earth's axis. I'm not going to believe any of that hullabaloo. And I, maybe I just made that word up. I don't know. 
But I'm not going to believe any of that. You know why? Because my faith is fixed on Jesus. And all I am and all that I will ever be and all that I know is found in this book. Man, science has been wrong. Math has been wrong. Arithmetic has been wrong. All of it's been wrong. You know, the one constant, the one unchanging, the one enduring. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The Bible is God's word. And I choose to believe this. 